Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show. We're always talking about the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Of course, that technology is Bitcoin, the decentralized technology that is changing the world and changing money as we know it. Today, I'm joined by Sam Callahan. Again, uh, he's back on the show. He's a lead market analyst over at Swan Bitcoin and the host of the Swan Signal. If you're looking for the signal through the noise, check out um, Sam's show, Swan Signal. Uh, Sam, thanks for joining me again today. Yeah, of course, Mark. Always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, man, we have some good conversations. You know, we we swim in the same circles, so to speak, in the same uh, the same uh, echo chamber, I guess, as it's called. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fun hanging out in Texas a couple of weeks ago. Um, so you put out a tweet the other day, I think, talking about the American dream being out of reach for so many. So I want to talk about that. Like, what does that mean? Let's talk about some of these costs. I actually spent an hour today talking about uh, the reverse crash. So everyone's expecting a crash, like a crash in their standard of living, but there's two ways we get there, inflationary, deflationary. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about that for a bit. And then let's get into some of the ways that we can protect ourselves from inflation, um, Bitcoin being one of those. And we'll talk about some things going on in the government, SEC, regulations, et cetera, that could be affecting that. Uh, but let's just start with um, the American dream being out of reach. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I kind of tweeted that that was like a survey from the Wall Street Journal that made the headlines that, uh, you know, the lowest percentage of respondents say that the American dream is achievable now. And it's like, what is the American dream? To me, it's that anybody could come to this country, no matter their background or socioeconomic status. And as long as they work hard, uh, they can achieve their dreams. 
Um, and right now it seems like people are working hard, but they're not getting ahead. And so back in like the seventies, a man could work, earn a decent wage, uh, afford to own a home. You know, the wife stayed at home. They could raise a family. Now you have dual income households that are increasingly working multiple jobs and they can't seem to get ahead. And they, and you have, uh, you know, the youth in particular, they're getting priced out of owning homes. They are putting off major milestones like raising families. And that has larger implications for society as a whole. Uh, but it's really this idea that the American dream is being eroded away. And in my opinion, it's because of reckless monetary and fiscal policies. When you say the dream, some people might have a dream to be a billionaire. So we have to probably, probably phrase that. But you're just saying like you could get a full-time job, like the median, maybe we'll qualify it or uh, say that the median income in the U.S. should be able yeah. to afford you like a median lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And, and the cost of living uh, just continues to rise specifically over the last couple of years. And you're really seeing that in the food prices. And I also quoted, uh, tweeted about this Bloomberg article that really just looked at the price changes in major things like the electricity bill, the average electricity bill in the United States since 2020, or food prices, or uh, gasoline prices, or health insurance, car insurance, used cars. You really go across the board and they're all up 20, 30, 40%. And at the same time, you have the White House going out and saying that this is the fourth cheapest Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> and so they're, they're trying to gaslight us into not believing us. It reminds me of the George Orwell quote that said like, you know, when the state says, don't believe your eyes and ears, that's their last final command. And I'm paraphrasing there, but um, that's what it reminds me of because they're trying to say that, hey, you're not feeling this. Like this isn't your truly, you, this isn't your lived experience that you're experiencing right now. Uh, everything's good. But really that's not productive at all. And so it's disingenuous because it's their policies that I think are causing this rising cost of living. And a lot of people are truly suffering out there. And it was never more apparent to a lot of people than holidays like Thanksgiving, where they're going to the grocery store, standing in line, and their draws are their draws are dropping uh, when they go to the checkout line. So um, to me, that's kind of what we're experiencing here is, is the fading American dream where the medium income no longer provides just like a a good, healthy, uh, you know, living standards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, and we've been seeing a lot of videos online coming from Canada that it's, I mean, it's even way worse. So oh, like as yeah. bad as it is in the U S like it's extremely bad in other areas. You know, you talked about like some of the younger generation, not able to live that, uh, that American dream. I see a lot of people pointing to the baby boomers with anger that they ruined it for everybody. They messed things up. I mean, what do you think's behind that? Do you think it's the baby boomers or is it like the baby boomers that are in government and policy that are messing things up? Well, it's certainly you look at the average age of the elected official today, and they are mostly of the, the boomer generation as well as the silent generation before them. And um, so I think that's part of the anger. But I think there's a lot of uh, envy as well, because baby boomers really just grew up in a very opportune time. Let's be honest. I mean, they benefited from interest rates basically dropping for the last 30, 30 years, uh, they were able to buy homes. They, 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 the American dream was more achievable for them back then. It's like what I just mentioned in the 70s and the 80s, you could afford to buy a house and now they've just benefited from the asset price appreciation as well as the borrowing costs dropping over that time period. And it's very, very different today. And, but you know, I'm kind of hesitant to generalize entire generations. You know, I don't think it's one versus the other. I think it's more like luck of the draw and some of these policies that were made, some of these policy mistakes that have compounded over the last couple of decades 
now that the young generations are paying for it. And so that's kind of where the anger comes from, I think, is just people look at and say, how did, how did you do this? Like, how did yeah. you run this economy into the ground uh, for us? And so they point to the older generations and say, this is your fault. But yeah. again, I don't really like to generalize entire generations. I don't think that's really correct. It's more like the elected officials uh, who did a very, very poor job for a long time. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like, I would say probably more on the elected officials, right? Because they're the ones set the yeah. policy. But like, to your point, uh, when you look back through, you know, the stock markets average 6% or 8%, like you can pick and choose which timeframes you want to measure. But really, it comes down to the luck of the draw, because we don't know when the Fed's going to start easing or tightening policy and create these booms and busts. So, you know, potentially, you know, yeah, the baby boomers have benefited from this easy money policy, lowering interest rates, et cetera. But now they're trying to retire in a time and live, and they're trying to live off their retirement at a time where their yeah. asset prices are shrinking and their cost of living is going up as well. So like, they're also retiring yeah. at a very inopportune time. So it just, to your point, point. I think it, I agree. It's just luck of the draw. And you kind of have to yep. sort of take that out a little bit. Mark, I, I bring this up all the time too, because you know, people look at Bitcoin, like we're both interested in Bitcoin and they say it's like a young person's asset, right? You know, they're technologically savvy and, you know, this more is towards the, the youth that's kind of geared towards them. But I look at the older generation and where they're allocated and they're mostly allocated in fixed income. And I think about the more broader macro picture, if we are in this period of rising inflation, sustained high inflation, and these uh, older people in retirement are on fixed incomes, you know, I worry about them. I, I really do. If whether they're protected in that like shifting investment environment, because you know, what are they going to do when the purchasing power of their fixed income investments don't keep up with the pace of inflation? You know, they don't have the time to make money again. They're not going to go back into the workforce, and so baby boomers and the older generations need uh, assets like Bitcoin just as much as the youth. And I think people forget about that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, I want to get back into a little bit, sort of, uh, this, this, uh, to the point becoming more unaffordable, a lot of it being driven by policy. And so we're sort of at this situation where, um, the fed has been trying to tighten things again. And typically when you go back and look at the fed funds rate going up and down, they create these booms and busts, easy money yeah. policies, create more monetary, uh, or more money. And then things are easy and we have these booms and then they restrict it. Um, we've been in the fastest rate hiking cycle, you know, sort of in history, at least for the last five decades. And a lot of people were saying, oh, when the Fed funds rate goes up, then stocks have to reprice down lower. They have to. The, the, the risk-free rate goes up. They have, the PE ratios have to come down. They have to. Oh, when the mortgage rate goes from 2% to 8%, home prices have to come down. They just have to. But yet, Neither one of those things have come true. So they've obviously no. proven that they don't have to, um, which I think is pretty interesting. A lot of people said, oh, this year, oh, the last two years they've been saying it, but it hasn't happened. We've sort of survived that. And now we see rate cuts looking like they're coming next. So I'm mm -hmm. curious what you think about those two things. Um, I got to take a very quick break, though. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Sitting down with Sam Callahan from Swan Bitcoin, the lead market analyst. Also the host of the Swan Signal Show over there on YouTube. Uh, check that out. Check out Swan Bitcoin for all your Bitcoin needs. Anyway, we'll be back with more in a minute. Sam will answer that question. If you want to know what's coming up next, we'll talk about that. So don't go away. I'll be right back. <laughs> 
Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Sitting down with Sam Callahan, lead market analyst over at Swan Bitcoin and host of the Swan Signal. So Sam, I kind of set that up. We had to take a break. But people said they had to. Home prices had to come down. Stock prices had to come down. But yet here we are. They had, neither, neither one of those have been true. Yeah. And and here we are. Looks like we're probably done with rate hikes, probably having, uh, you know, the rate's coming back down next year. Uh, we're seeing a shift in mainstream headlines. Deutsche Bank coming out and said the S&P 500 hit um, new highs next year. And we also know, um, let me just set up two other things. We also know that the treasury needs lowering rates and <laughs> they need some, uh, they need mm-hmm. quantitative easing to come back. We also know the political appetite. No incumbent president has ever been elected in a recession environment. Oh, yeah. And if the yeah, Democrats want to hold on to power and yep. the Treasury needs an easy monetary policy, what do you think? <laughs> no, I think the fact that it's in election years is definitely a factor that needs to be considered, especially when you look at the precarious nature of the fiscal position. But if we can just go back to your first question, you know, were you, are you surprised that, you know, things have held up given the fastest rate hike in history? And I was, I was, but then you kind of think about it more and you start to think about how there was so much, you know, low rates for so long and these corporations basically binged on it. And same with these, uh, you know, when rates went down to zero after the pandemic, you had so many households refinancing their mortgages and like 90% of them are fixed in the United States. And so 
when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, I mean, it's just not going to affect them. And then you wonder why housing prices aren't going down. Well, people aren't moving because they don't want to move and then take on, you know, a huge mortgage when they're locked in at like 3% right now. And so you don't, you have like a supply demand issue with the housing market. That's why you haven't really seen houses prices, housing fall, I think over the last couple, you know, months as many expected. And you have like corporations binged on this cheap debt as well. If you look at the S&P 500 debt, 50% of the debt doesn't mature till 2030. And you really don't hit that maturity wall until like 2025, 2026. So they have more runway. They basically binged on the cheap debt. And so they're not really impacted by this rise in interest rates yet. And this is why they say if it's higher for longer, eventually this is going to hit a wall. And people are expecting rate cuts. I think the market expects like two rate cuts uh, next year. It's like 100% they expect it. And, and a lot of it expects almost four in the spring. Total, totally think, in what? Like one and a half, something like that? 150 basis points? Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. And But like you have to think about what has to happen for them to do that. People always have to look through this. But... Things have to get worse if the Fed's going to start cutting rates. And so I think you could see a situation where the unemployment rate really starts to rise, like maybe up to like 4%. You could start to see corporate bankruptcies increase uh, substantially, and you start asset prices start to fall. And Jerome Powell, he talks like this big game, but let's see if he talks a big game in that scenario, because I think what they're going to do is they are going to cut rates uh, because of these treasury dynamics that you talked about, it being an election year. And maybe that's actually what Deutsche Bank is saying, because if they cut rates and they go back to their accommodative policies, I think you're going to see the S&P 500 rip. And yeah. I think part of the reason why you saw the S&P 500 rip this year is because bonds have been absolutely slaughtered. And so you're seeing like, where does that money go from from fixed income after it's almost on the third consecutive year, uh, negative returns for the first time in history. Well, it's going to go to like money market funds. It's going to go, and it's probably going to go to stocks. Yeah. And so I think you saw some flows from fixed income into the stock market, um, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, it surprised people with its performance this year. But maybe people didn't consider some of these dynamics. I want to I want to dig into one thing that you said there, which I, I liked, and I want to see if we can break apart this nuance and maybe challenge it a little bit. So you said typically um, the Fed would lower rates if things got bad. And right. so uh, a lot of people say, oh, it's when the Fed pivots, then the market crashes. But I think that's sort of like a lagging effect. The Fed typically pivots because things are already so bad. It's not that the yeah. pivot causes the crash, it's that things are already going into a crash or they pivot too late, right? Right. But, and so you said typically when things get really bad, the Fed would pivot, you know, employment has to go up, things like that. And I think what you said, or at least what I'll challenge is maybe they don't have to be that bad for the Fed to pivot. Maybe it's the treasury needing the money and the political environment that forces the pivot, not the market. Is that what you were saying? Well, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, okay. and you look at the interest expense on the debt uh, right now, as the Fed keeps interest rates, uh, the government is one entity that didn't take advantage of the low rates, right. uh, like yeah. households and corporations. And so uh, they Expl have- Explain that for a second, just so people can understand how idiotic that is. Yeah, I mean, essentially, they borrowed uh, at higher rates. And they I think I forgot the numbers exactly, Mark, I think like, uh, something like 50% of the debt, they have to roll over in the next 12 months or something like that. Um, and so they have to refinance at much higher interest rates. And it's very, very expensive when the debt gets to these high levels for right. the government to have to do this. And so the government... But, but to your point, but to your point, just real quick, the, the locking in, just so people can understand this, uh, you mentioned earlier when rates went low after 2020, people refinanced their mortgages down and they locked right. them in for 30 years. The, the government had a chance to lock in debt at 30 years at these lower rates and they didn't. 
No, they actually, they issued on the short end instead right. of the long end. <laughs> right. so, uh, so that's why they have to refinance now because they, they issued debt on the short end when they should have issued debt on the long end. Like all the corporations and the households did. Yeah, exactly. The corporations and households were smart enough and the government somehow didn't understand that. Yeah. And this is actually why, you know, Stanley Druckenmiller was saying Janet Yellen should be fired because yeah. that was one of the biggest blunders in treasury history is what he said. Because um, now we're going to have to face those refinance costs. Um, and so that's why people say like the treasury, and I, I agree with this, where the Fed can pretend like they're independent and that they have two mandates, which is, you know, full employment and price stability. Uh, but in my opinion, when the treasury gets in this position where if rates stay high, it really threatens like their solvency, essentially. And yeah. they're going to tap Jerome Paul on the shoulder and be like, look, it's, it's cute and all with your price stability mandates and all, but like we seriously need you to cut rates right now. Like this is becoming a, a national security issue. Mm-hmm. Like we need you to cut rates. And obviously these conversations would happen behind closed doors and things, but I, I, I just think that there's more important things and the Fed is eventually going to have to, uh, you know, take away its independence a little bit and listen to the Treasury. And that's happened throughout history multiple sure. times, specifically during heightened geopolitical uh, times like during World War II and there was during uh, Vietnam where the Fed and the Treasury really started to butt heads about Fed independence, about the interest rates, because once the debt gets to these levels and once the deficits continue to rise, suddenly the Treasury is like starting to tell the Fed what to do. And so I think that's what we're going to go into in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the, you know, the, the, the Fed wants to keep the dollar strong, they don't want to lose control over the dollar. But if the U.S. government loses its status in the world, um, potentially national security risk, then the Fed doesn't have anything to hang on to, right? If the government can't stay in power, then the dollar really doesn't have anything either. So it's like the Fed, sure, they want to keep the dollar strong, but if they don't support the government, they sort of lose it anyway, to your, to your point, right? Yeah, so, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point as well, history shows many times that they have kind of lost that independence and they've they've worked in lockstep. And so when you kind of look at that and you look at the treasury dysfunction that we had, you know, in the last couple of auctions, there's just no way that I don't see anyway. And I hate to say no way because just like no way the stocks have to be repriced. They weren't. Um, but um, it just seems like how can the Fed continue to um, tighten? How could the Fed continue to roll treasuries or sell treasuries into the market when the uh, the Fed do that when the Treasury can't even get all their Treasuries to be purchased. <laughs> like the tread, the, the Fed can't continue to put more volume into the into the market at the same yeah. time. Okay, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Sam Callahan from Swan Bitcoin. We'll be back with that discussion. You don't want to miss it because we got some points to dig in on. So don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore a Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. 
Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Sitting down with Sam Callahan from Swan Bitcoin, host of the Swan Signal over on Bitcoin. Make sure to check out that show on YouTube. Um, so, Sam, we were talking about sort of this, this issue that they have. I kind of cut you off, so go ahead and just keep going. Yeah, um, what I was going to say is basically... You know, basically, there's no buyer of these treasuries, right? right? The Fed is letting their their bonds roll off. And I think one thing that you might see is like a Fed pivot. Like there's so much attention on interest rate policy right now. And I, I talked about how it's kind of like this lever that's not really impacting things immediately on the economy. And so maybe the Fed pivot actually is at the balance sheet. Like maybe you should be looking at whether they reverse their quantitative tightening and start to expand their balance sheet more rather than look at interest rate policy because there's so much attention on that and their credibility is so low. If they pivot on rates, it might be so damning to their reputation right now, given the attention on it, that maybe they'll do something with the balance sheet instead uh, to try to take pressure off the treasury. So that's one thing that I'm just looking at. Uh, what are they doing with their balance sheet rather than interest rates? That That's sort of my uh, base case. And I think maybe when I went on your show, I talked about it. I don't know. I did a show talking about how the how the Fed's interaction in the markets has changed since 2008 through today and, oh, yeah. and how they're acting faster, but then they're setting up all these funding programs. So like uh, the banks collapsed in this year, uh, uh, early 2023, and they set up that BTFP program within six days. Within six, six days. days. When Bear Stearns crashed in 2008, it was like seven months before they did something. And oh, they yeah. did it within six days. And so that's the balance sheet expansion, so to speak, right? And I think, you know, through 2000, uh, 2020, I think they had set up 13 funding programs. And so, like, I get it. In things like are week, bad. Right? I seen, huh? In like a week, they did that. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I get it. Like things are bad. And like I seen people saying, um, oh, they didn't, you know, Jerome Powell didn't have a long term plan for the BTFP. And by March of next year, this could all come and the whole banking system could collapse. Sure. Or they could just keep it going. Oh, uh, but what about the commercial real estate mortgage? There's 2.9 trillion of, of those bonds that are going to go bad. The banks are going to collapse. Yeah. Or the Fed could just put it on their balance sheet. Oh, yeah. but what about the stock prices dropping? Well, the Fed can just buy stocks like they did in 2020. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yep. uh, like we, we, we think rationally like, oh my God, like, like, and this is, this is my, my thinking. I hate to call these people out, but Harry Dent, I think his research is right. Uh, you know, Peter Schiff, uh, these guys, their, their thinking is right, but their, uh, their failure to see the tricks that the, that the Fed and the Treasury will continue to play. And so why don't they just take on, to your point, the balance sheet? Well, we'll just take on the commercial real estate. We'll just take on the the banks, BTFB. We'll you know, we just take all that stuff on, and we'll just yeah. stick it over there in a corner. We don't see it. Um, okay, so if we have that, um, and potentially, 
are you starting to maybe be a little more dovish maybe on what happens next year? This, this proverbial soft landing, or let's just say we don't have a major massive crash next year. Is that not your base case anymore? A little bit, but you know, I wrote a piece called prepare for an inflationary soft landing. And it's more Um, like an emerging market soft landing where yeah, you won't have a significant recession, but you'll be dealing with crazy high deficits. You'll be dealing with sticky inflation um, and more kind of like political turmoil. Um, That's what I expect to happen. And so when you're running these huge deficits, one thing that's very abnormal is we're running these big deficits before the recession even hit. And so that's been keeping the economy afloat. I mean, you just saw GDP numbers coming super hot for the quarter. And people were like, where's that coming from? And I'm like, well, look at the deficit. Like, look at how much government spending is still happening right now. Right. And so I think you should prepare for a situation where we have a quote unquote soft landing, but things are still feeling really tough for a lot of Americans, specifically the middle and lower income as yeah. inflation remains higher than, you know, historical averages. Yeah. And that's kind of the part, like I spent an hour beginning today talking about this, the the two types of crashes. I called it a reverse crash. It's kind of a term that's being thrown around. But I said a crash is when you're, you can't afford the same quality of life, the same standard of living that you've had. So either mm-hmm. your job, you have to take a new, you lose your job, you get a new low paying job, you know, or whatever, and you can't afford your same quality of life or prices go up too fast and your rate, your pay didn't go up. Either way, your quality of life goes down. So that the crash is your quality of life goes down, but it could happen in either two ways. I think, I don't know about next year, but over the next two to three years, I think it's an inflationary crash that we have. They're both equally as bad. You know, in Zimbabwe, everybody became a billionaire, but it was 350 billion for an egg, right? So then, but if we understand which type of crash we have, then we can understand how to prepare. So in a deflationary crash, I guess you would just close everything out and go, go sit in cash. But in an inflationary crash, the problem, and that's my base case, the problem I think most people are going to have is how can we be long enough? That's the problem. Mm-hmm. If you look at the S&P 500 in the housing market, it's almost a perfect proxy for the monetary expansion that we've seen. So that keeps up with inflation. But what we'd want to do is beat inflation. And so I look at things in three ways to do that. One, scarce assets. So this would be Bitcoin, fine art, collectibles, lakefront or beachfront property. Uh, then you have like energy intensive assets. So these might be uh, commodities, gold, oil, things like that, cattle. Um, and so those would help us stay in front of that. And so I think Bitcoin is showing it's sort of at the forefront of this. I was surprised to see um, Larry Fink of BlackRock say that Bitcoin people are going to Bitcoin as a security a safety. Quite this quality, yeah. Right. So do you think like Bitcoin and scarce assets are probably the best way to play like an inflationary crash? How do you see protecting yourself from that? No, yeah. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. And with the Larry Fink comment, I, I just like to think about, he's saying a flight to quality is Bitcoin. Well, what are you fleeing from? And I think what you're fleeing from are yeah. financial assets like bonds, like paper bonds. Uh, because right now I looked at, uh, uh, saw a chart that investors are the most overweight bonds they've ever been since the global financial crisis. And I think it's because this is where people used to go in a recessionary, you know, downturn for protection. Uh, you went to the long end of the bonds. It's like a Pavlonian response right now. They go there and then the fed cuts rates and everything's great. And they offsets the stock market losses as the bond yields drop. Uh, but right now when you see 
bonds and stocks falling together, that happens during periods of rising inflation uh, historically. And if we are entering that, bonds are no longer going to act as that shock absorber in a portfolio. You're going to want real assets like you mentioned. And there was another phenomenal chart that looked at real assets, uh, the relative price of real assets versus financial assets. And right now it's at historic lows. And so these these assets are really under allocated compared to bonds, which are over allocated right now. And so if you're just a contrarian investor, you're thinking, well, there's an opportunity there. Yeah. And um, you know, the real assets just makes sense in an inflationary environment. You want to own something that's scarce. Yeah. Um, so what you said, Bitcoin, housing, commodities. Uh, there's another chart that like 71% of financial advisors have little to no exposure to gold. And I just saw that as a more broader theme of being very under allocated to real assets, not being prepared for the shifting investing environment to a more you know, high inflation, sustained high inflation uh, investing regime, which yeah. you might be entering. And investors have to start thinking about that. Yeah, and we have lots of um, cases that we can just look at in current time and past time. I was talking about the hyperinflation in, in Germany. And in Germany, when that happened, um, home prices, gold, all the, all the assets went up in value because they were inflating away. In Zimbabwe, the stock market went to all-time highs. But the problem is if you're buying assets that are denominated in the local currency. So when Germany did finally crash, the stock market crashed with it. If you were in international non-German mark denominated assets such as gold, well, gold held up the rest of the world. Germany crashed, but gold still held, held up globally, right? Yeah. So if you're in US dollar denominated assets like equities or bonds, and we did have this big uh, inflationary crash and then a bust, like you sort of lose that value. But if you're in this like global commodity, um, sort of like um, the Turkish lira has lost 95% to the US dollar like over the last five years. So if you would have sold your Turkish lira and bought dollars or Bitcoin or gold, like you would have crushed it compared to Turkish lira. And so I think yeah. it's important to get out of those US dollar denominated assets like the bonds um, and like the equities into maybe maybe gold is definitely a contrarian bet. Um, today, as we're recording, is a big day. We'll see if, if it can close over 2,000. I think it's like going to be the first time it's closed on a monthly over 2,000. Yeah, I mean, it's been a deal. tough time breaking that. It kind of, I think it yeah. touched it twice and then dropped underneath it. And um, yeah, it's that, it's that like, third third time's a charm in, in TA. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Sam Callahan from Swan Bitcoin, host of the Swan Signal over on YouTube. Check that show out. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Bitcoin, um, what he thinks is going to happen, but also some potential risks that you need to be aware of. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. 
Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Sitting down with Sam Callahan over at Swan Bitcoin, host of the Swan Signal over on YouTube. You should definitely check that out. Sam, we've kind of set this up, you know, uh, the scarce resources, the scarce assets as a way to beat inflation, not just keep up with it like the S&P 500 and, and, and average housing. And just as a real quick uh, for, for listeners, Austin, Texas is the fastest growing real estate market in the United States for the last 20 years. Um, and Austin was about average or a little higher than average on home price appreciation, about 40% or so. Um, however, in Austin, there's a lake called Lake Travis. And homes on the lake, there's only so many homes on the lake. When you have Tesla and Meta move to Austin and those executives make $25 million a year, what do they care if a home is $1 million or $2 million or $3 million? They don't. And so while Austin as a whole went up by 40%, homes on Lake Travis went up by almost 200% percent. And that's the benefit of a scarce asset. So back to Bitcoin, Sam. Um, I'm curious your take on it. Um, one, uh, it seems like for a number of reasons, a scarce asset in this environment, I'm um, going into the halving environment, uh, potential ETF breaks out, breakouts. It seems like Bitcoin has been off to the races. Um, and it seems like maybe through the next year, year and a half, it probably will continue to do that. However, with a looming macro environment and the potential crash that a lot of people are still sort of forecasting, do you think Bitcoin is this flight to safety and has sort of escaped, you know, this escape velocity, so to speak? Um, or do you think the global macro picture is really in the driver's seat? And if we get a big crash, maybe that drags it down like everything else. Well, I think we see like a, a large deflationary crash. We're going to see Bitcoin drawn down with everything else. I think that should be expected if that's what happens. Um, now, I think that there is kind of a shift in sentiment that's occurring. More awareness around not just Bitcoin's value proposition as a asset that functions outside the traditional banking system that doesn't have counterparty risks, that is scarce. Uh, but also just more attention to the unsustainable nature of, of the fiscal position and the debt. You know, deficits are starting to matter again, and people are looking around for for assets. And really, there's just we mentioned some of those real assets, but there's nothing quite like the value proposition of Bitcoin with its gold-like characteristics, as well as the growth potential of like a venture bet. And so, it's really attractive. And I think you're just seeing more and more people uh, gain awareness over what this thing is, and that it's not just this like bubble. That there's real characteristics that reinforce its scarcity of 21 million. And then you have the absolute scarcity that we talk about a lot, right? The fact that it doesn't fluctuate with demand. So the supply doesn't increase with more demand like gold. If gold price rises, there's going to be more people mining gold. And so 
that doesn't exist with Bitcoin where it's very, very fixed. And yeah. so you can have this example where you have all this demand come in at the same time that supply remains really scarce. And even right now, you know, there's 70% of Bitcoin that hasn't moved in one year. You can see that on chain. So that's a sign that investors are holding. Uh, there's only about 1.7 million Bitcoin on exchanges right now. Um, and then you have the halving coming up, which is the issuance rate getting cut in half happens every four years. And so as demand seems to be increasing for Bitcoin, for the appetite for a digital store of value, uh, it seems to be getting more and more scarce in terms of the available supply. So that supply and demand dynamics makes me really bullish on Bitcoin, even if there is like a deflationary crash, because in that environment, I think that the Fed uh, returns to stimulative policies and then it's 2020 again, except Bitcoin's going to be off to the races. What do you think about the political and regulatory environment that's going on right now? So it's like on one hand, we're seeing uh, potentially a, a number of ETFs get approved. It looks like it's pretty certain. The betting markets say that it's happening at least sometime next year. could be months. Um, and when you have BlackRock, which could arguably be called like an extension arm of the government or the Fed, right? They've been, <laughs> been involved many times in doing that. When they're listing the ETF, that sort of means like, hey, like it ain't going to be illegal. Right. Like uh, we have a lot of entrenchment in the government. So like I don't see them trying to make Bitcoin illegal. But Elizabeth Warren is like on the war path and trying to pass a couple of regulatory bills that would sort of make it impossible to use by making every single transaction have to capture data, AML, KYC, et cetera, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I know you're not a political analyst, so maybe this is a little bit over your head. Feel free to just say you don't know. Uh, but I'm just curious, like she seems pretty hell bent on getting this through. The Democrats have the power. Um, do you see this type of a of a of not just environment, but if these bills were to go through, do you think that negatively affects the price of Bitcoin? Yeah, certainly. I mean, like regulatory backlash is certainly a risk that Bitcoin investors have to think about. I mean, we can't just ignore some of these developments that are occurring now. For every anti-money laundering act being pushed by Warren, there's a responsible Financial Innovation Act from Lummis and Gillibrand. Um, and so I think you have kind of uh, competing facets in Congress. Some are pro-Bitcoin, some aren't. Um, and and the, the regulation with Warren, it was ridiculous. I mean, basically, she, like you said, every single miner, every single node would have to register as a financial institution. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. They're trying to expand the Bank Secrecy Act and kind of reduce the, the privacy of all Americans not just with Bitcoin technology, that's really like all financial technology. They want to stop that. Um, and so I think there is like this bigger narrative. Uh, you know, you had the the Wall Street Journal with the Hamas terrorism and you're seeing all these, like the FinCEN ruling that's trying to stop crypto mixers. You're seeing really this fight against privacy and cybercrime. And so I think there is this bigger narrative that trying to paint Bitcoin as a you know facilitator of quote unquote cybercrime, I think that's what we had to look out for in terms of like this bigger battle. Um, but certainly, you know, I think there's competing facets in Congress, and there's different legislation. Some are good, some are bad. Right now, I just don't think Congress can get anything through. Uh, so we got that going for us. But um, you know, I, I just wish it. You know, I hope all of that kind of survives this administration uh, because they've been extremely hostile. I would say, um, but. I'm not really worried about it because I don't think they're going to be able to get anything through Congress. 
But as an analyst, um, you think that, you know, uh, as an analyst looking at, at Bitcoin and then talking to p- people that would potentially be buying it and, and investing into it or whatever, I, I don't like to think of it as investing. I like to think of it as savings. <laughs> I save my yeah. money in Bitcoin. I don't invest into it. But I'm just curious. So typically you would think about, uh, as we already talked about, the macro environment, you know, will there be an easy monetary policy, tightening monetary policy seems to be sort of in the driver's seat, obviously supply demand. Will there be continued demand? Uh, the supply constraints, we know about that. But Unlike other assets like uh, gold or other commodities, et cetera, we also probably have to look at the regulatory environment as well. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, some of these developments kind of cleaning up the broader crypto industry can be seen as a positive. I I think it has clearly allowed Bitcoin to separate itself and more and more people understand why Bitcoin is unique compared to these other more centralized cryptocurrencies and there's less conflation happening anymore. And I think that's notable when you do have Larry Fink specifically, you know, talking about Bitcoin. tell me about the difference of the conflation. We got about a minute and a half. What 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 do you see as the differences that's really being highlighted through this type of regulatory action? Well, you know, with Bitcoin, there's no founding team to subpoena. There's no it's it's actually decentralized, uh, which allows it to have scarcity in the 21 million and the security. Um, where these centralized coins that really look like unregistered securities, and that's kind of what the SECs and uh, is is saying in all those complaints, they're naming specific coins. You know, that's the main difference here is that there's no manipulation or control. Uh, nobody's able to do that in Bitcoin, whereas in these centralized coins like FTT um, or Filecoin or any of these other ones that have been named in these complaints, they argue that they can be manipulated and they can be controlled by a centralized team. And they're more and more like unregistered securities. And so that separation, I think, is a really good thing for Bitcoin long term. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things to watch out for. I think um, it depends on what time frame you're looking over. You know, I've spoken at a lot of uh, yeah. financial conferences. I listen to a lot. And I always want to just tell people they need to clarify that over what time frame. So potentially we could have a very harsh um, authoritarian sort of regulatory environment in Bitcoin. Um, but does that mean it kills it? Uh, uh, absolutely not. It might only make it stronger. It might make it happen a little slower. And so like over over what time frame I think is an important um, yeah, absolutely. question to ask. If you're just tuning in, you've been listening to The Mark Moss Show, sitting down with Sam Callahan of Swan Bitcoin. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Let me know, uh, rate this and review it on your favorite podcast player. I would be greatly appreciated if you do that. And that's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore a Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.